Hello, I'm Tepi McLaughlin and welcome to this, our first podcast of the International Society for Physical Activity and Health. For our first podcast, we have a fabulous lineup. You may be aware that the World Health Organization has released for consultation a draft of the proposed update to the 2010 Global Recommendations on Physical Activity for Health. These are planned for finalising and launch in 2020 and will provide guidelines on physical activity and sedentary behaviour for children, adolescents, adults and older adults. Thanks to those of you who submitted questions via the International Society for Physical Activity and Health. Now let's get the answers. Today's host is Dr. Karen Milton, who spoke with Dr. Fiona Bull and Dr. Juana Willemson from the World Health Organization. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'll start by posing a question to Fiona. Why are global guidelines on physical activity important? Well, thank you and good morning. Global guidelines are a really important part of the governance structure and policy framework for promoting physical activity. WHO develops the global guidelines to help countries uh, fast track their development of national guidelines. So why are national guidelines important? Well, they're a key policy tool for promoting physical activity. They state the government's position on physical activity, the benefits, and how much and what type of physical activity is good for health. And of course, covering all ages and people of all abilities. And then having those statements, those guidelines, helps develop the policy, get the investment, and of course, deliver interventions and programs. And one other feature of guidelines is they really structure and set up what the national surveillance and monitoring of physical activity would look like. Because obviously we want the monitoring of physical activity to match up with the guidelines and follow and over time, how many people are active enough and getting the health benefits. Why did WHO decide it was time now in, 20, in 2020 to review and update the global physical activity guidelines? Well, that's a very good question. Um, it's uh, traditionally been thought that guidelines on health issues might be updated every five years, but that realistically is actually a very short period of time. WHO produced the first global guidelines in 2010, and at the launch of the Global Action Plan on Physical Activity in 2018, member states, countries, national governments asked WHO to update those 2010 guidelines. So as it happens, it's 10 years since the first guidelines and countries really want to know what the latest science is and should there be any changes to the current guidelines in the light of that new science. And that's why we started this process nearly two years ago. And we're very pleased to be this far through the process right now. Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the new areas? For example, I think the new guidelines include several new population groups. Can you just expand a bit on what's new? Yes, of course. Uh, whilst countries asked us to update the 2010, there were several areas that we wanted to improve and extend on the guidelines. The first big difference is we have included sedentary behaviours as part of the guideline process. This was not included in the 2010 uh, process. As you mentioned, there are some new population groups that are included. We cover youth, 
adults and older adults, but we hadn't got any WHO guidelines on the benefits and risks of physical activity through pregnancy and for women postpartum after pregnancy. And we wanted to include that population group. Secondly, we wanted to look at physical activity and benefits for people living with disability. And that group has been included. And lastly, we wanted to make sure we covered not just the population-based prevention in healthy adults and, and uh, children, but also in those living with chronic disease. And that turned out to involve some new systematic reviews that you might hear about. Okay, I'd like to turn to introduce Wana. Wana, could you outline the process involved in developing the WHO guidelines on physical activity? Thanks, Karen. Um, WHO has a very rigorous process for developing both clinical guidelines and also public health guidelines. And that is so that we can ensure that our guidelines are globally relevant, both to high income countries and low and middle income countries. And the process involves establishing a guideline development group who are representatives from every one of our WHO regions and also a mixture of both technical experts, end users for guidelines, and people who would be affected by guidelines, uh, who bring all their expertise and their country knowledge to the table as we review the evidence, and so can formulate and draft recommendations that really will be relevant to the entire world. Can you tell us a little bit more about those reviews and the evidence that gets looked at in this process? Well, since the guidelines were first published in 2010, there has been a lot of evidence um, and many, many studies published to the point that in our evidence review, we were actually summarizing systematic reviews. We did umbrella reviews of systematic reviews, uh, which just gives you an indication of, of how much work has been carried out in this field in the last 10 years. In addition, the guideline development group asked us to commission some new reviews on certain topics that they felt were really important. So for example, for older adults, they wanted to know more about falls prevention, about osteoporosis, um, and also sarcopenia and frailty in older adults and how physical activity might, might be involved with these. In the adults, um, the group were very interested in understanding more about injuries and potential harms associated with physical activity, and also about the difference between physical activity undertaken as part of an occupation or as leisure time physical activity. And so we commissioned new umbrella reviews for these particular areas, and that was part of the evidence that the group uh, looked at as they formulated the recommendations. Fantastic, thank you. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about how the recommendations are kind of graded? Because in some areas there seems that the evidence isn't particularly strong, but we're still able to make strong recommendations. So can you just explain a little bit more about that process? WHO use GRADE to rate the quality of the evidence. Uh, GRADE is often um, used particularly for randomized controlled trials and, and there is a variety of different study designs that have fed into the evidence that we were reviewing. So when we talk about the quality of the evidence, it's taking into account not just the study design, but also things like risk of bias, indirectness and inconsistency. And that gives a rating of the quality of the evidence that is available. 
But in addition, the guideline development group consider other factors. One that is really important is the balance between the benefits and the harms of a recommendation. And if the group feel that the benefits of participating in physical activity outweigh the potential harms, then they can make a strong recommendation, even if the evidence base, often because of study design, uh, seems to be of low quality. That's very helpful. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to turn back to Fiona now. Um, Fiona, are the, are the global guidelines applicable to all countries and contexts? Thank you, Karen. Uh, yes, they are. As um, Wana has outlined, it's the very process that we um, use, the engagement of a representative um, set of experts across the disciplines from across the world, and indeed the considerations that are entertained and considered through the process. So whilst there is an imbalance in the scientific evidence, with much of it coming from high income countries in the past, I'm very pleased to say increasing amounts coming from middle income countries in particular, there is always a question about how does this relate and translate to relevant recommendations for the globe and for different countries and contexts. And there's a two part to this answer. The um, physiological responses to exercise and indeed reducing sitting time are universal. And that is considered, will being more active of different amounts, different types and different durations provide those changes to health that will benefit all people. And then there is, well, the recommendations themselves, can they be implemented the same and achieved in the same way in all countries? And of course, that's where it differs. The contexts and cultures vary, uh, the opportunities vary, and there are differences. But we still have a global message that is beneficial for being to be active. And so we want to encourage those countries and cultures to consider how do they adapt, how do they interpret, and then how do they action the interventions to enable their populations to achieve these guidelines. So it's recognized, and that's part of the consultation process that we'll perhaps hear a bit more about in terms of getting feedback on those issues, transferability, uh, adaptability, and then um, feasibility to implement are very much the cornerstone of this consultation. So I've noticed since 2010, the, the previous global guidelines, that many countries have produced their own national guidelines. To what extent should countries be producing national guidelines or should we now be adopting the global guidelines uh, given their applicability to all countries? Well, one of the reasons WHO takes on this very large task is to support member states, the countries, to um, accelerate their own development and not have to repeat much of the same work. So we certainly have seen and historically countries have developed their own, often the high income countries have undertaken that systematic review process, WANA outlined. But once the evidence has been reviewed and distilled by the um, authorities that WHO uh, brings with the process and the uh, uh, guideline development group, we um, recommend countries to adopt and then implement the guidelines, save their energies and resources to direct them towards implementation, not the process of duplicating reviews. And that's why we're very keen that the widest possible community know about these new guidelines 
and then we can help countries do rapid adoption so we can increase the number of countries particularly middle and low income countries that have up to date best science available relevant guidelines to help their work on implementing the global action plan let's remember it's all part of this bigger picture so how do the guidelines fit in with the global action plan how do you, how do you think that they will serve to promote that agenda to support countries to implement the global action plan there's a number of ways which the guidelines help. One by being the policy tools. So for countries that don't have a national policy, don't have guidelines, this is very much an entry point for developing your national guidelines, which then can be a catalyst for advocacy and trigger the government into developing their implementation plan of how are we going to achieve the guidelines and support people being more active. So it's uh, certainly part of the suite of policies that the Global Action Plan recommends all countries have guidelines on physical activity. It also then helps drive the uh, surveillance that I mentioned at the outset. So their monitoring systems are aligned to um, the guidelines and indeed targets are then set. So countries can monitor their progress to achieving the targets they set, all working towards increasing more people being more active. So they really are part of a, the central key to the actions on physical activity at a national level. Great. So Given where we are now, we've got the guidelines and we're about to go to consultation. I wonder if Juana could tell us a bit more about the consultation. So who are you hoping will contribute to this and what are the logistics in terms of kind of the period of consultation and the deadline for people to respond? Thanks, Karen. Um, we decided to do a public consultation on the draft guidelines as part of our process because we really want to hear back from academics, from end users, whether they're policy makers, people involved in designing or implementing programs to promote physical activity, or health professionals or allied professionals who are counseling their clients about physical activity uh, and encouraging them to be more physically active. So we would like to hear from all these groups. These are all really important stakeholders. But in addition, we also welcome feedback from the general public um, the guidelines themselves are not um, written for the general public. There's a very important communication step that needs to be carried out at a national or sub-national level to get these recommendations out to the public. But we would like to hear from uh, as many people as possible, as widely as possible. And we're working very hard to ensure that we get feedback from around the world, from countries that maybe haven't had an opportunity to provide feedback previously. As Fiona said, we're very interested in encouraging and supporting countries to communicate physical activity guidelines and to implement interventions to support their population to be more physically active. Not to spend their resources and precious time on reviewing the evidence, but rather focus on that very important step of communicating these, whether it's through websites, through brochures, through getting the information out to all those people who are, are very important in supporting the public, the general public, to be more physically active so that they can implement the recommendations directly. And that, that's a very important step that needs national input. Uh, it really isn't 
just an issue of translating guidelines into different languages, but really seeing how you could communicate to different audiences within a country in order to have that impact. Okay, so after the consultation period, what happens then? Then we're going to collate all the feedback that we have received. That goes back to the guideline development group who will review that and decide uh, if there are any changes they want to make to the text or the draft guidelines that they have put together. It then goes through a submission process through WHO in order to be approved and ready for launch. Thanks, Juana. So, Fiona, in terms of a launch, are there any plans for that at, at the present time in terms of what that might involve and when it might take place? Yes, indeed. Uh, we are fully anticipating attempting to stick to our schedule of the launch before the end of 2020. Indeed, we've placemarked uh, October for the intended launch of the new guidelines. And after the process that Wana has said, we'll be working on the outward facing documents, the communication tools of the guidelines and particularly translation into the six UN languages and a summary document. So we'll have a very busy summer heading towards a launch in October. Further details of exactly what and when will be released. Uh, many thanks Fiona and Juana from the WHO for this opportunity for sharing your experiences and also for leading this global process. Uh, as a society, we're happy to support you in promoting the consultation to our members and wider stakeholders and we look forward to the launch later in the year and helping you to disseminate the new guidelines. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We encourage you to go to ispar.org to find out more about our membership in our member-only area uh, on our website and also to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for now. <laughs>